Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are at T-21 as the marathon that has been this election campaign reaches its final stage and we prepare to open the polling stations of the nation at 7am tomorrow morning. The starting pistols have all been fired and the parties are all braced for the worst while hoping for the best. It's like that scene in all Olympics when you get the marathon guys running into the stadium and they get into the stadium and then they run around the track a couple of times. That's basically where we are. They've been running for 26 miles or something now and we're going to do the final bit right now, between now, uh, of course, and 10 o'clock tomorrow night. The Times this morning carries a YouGov poll which paints a picture of doubt with a likelihood of a Tory majority and a possibility, however, of a hung parliament. So no one is relaxing just yet. And if the poll is accurate, and this is the one that correctly predicted the number of seats last time around, there will be a Conservative government on Friday the 13th. The difference will be between whether it's 339 seats and 311 seats for Boris Johnson, because that will mean either Brexit gets done or nothing gets done. We'll be speaking to the pollsters and bringing you all the latest news from the campaign trail today, but we want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we will be discussing the meaning of life and what age you have to be to start showing the wisdom of your years. And we'll be crossing live to the US of A to check in with our California correspondent, LaDonna Harvey. But as ever, we do want to hear from you as well, because you're the people that count, the people that will be electing our next government, and we, of course, are your election station. We'll be covering the entire election from beginning to end, starting at 10 o'clock tomorrow night with Julia Hartley Brewer, going all the way through until 1pm on Friday the 13th, when hopefully we will have a decision. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So the front page of the Times today, Tory lead narrows ahead of a final election rallies. Pictures of Boris Johnson above uh, the uh, interminable uh, sign that says, get Brexit done. Uh, YouGov cuts likely Johnson majority to 28, as Labour frontbencher says votes ca- voters can't stand Corbyn. This is, of course, the, uh, uh, the leaked telephone conversation that we heard from John Ashworth yesterday, who basically was telling a friend of his that Corbyn is generally hated on the doorsteps and 
that it's a disaster for Labour and nothing uh, could go any worse than it already has. Let's talk now, though, to Chris Curtis, political research manager at YouGov, who compiled the poll, uh, in which the prediction is 339 seats for the Tories, 231 for Labour, 15 for the Lib Dems, and Scott Nats getting 41. Very good morning to you, Chris. Thanks for joining us. No, good morning. Thank you for having me. Fascinating uh, as ever, these polls, aren't they? And this is the one uh, which at the same time back in 2017 correctly predicted the outcome. So how confident are you uh, of this prediction? And also, how is it possible that it could be so kind of, the range could be so wide? Mm. Well, I think generally speaking, a confident pollster is a bad pollster. Mm. Um, what we should be constantly doing is looking through our data, analysing our data, and also correctly caveating our data. Okay. Um, and the correct caveat that we're going to have to make this morning, and I, I'm sorry that you know I can't come to you this morning and give you a, a more concrete answer, but it is that the most likely outcome is a small Conservative majority right. uh, on the numbers that you said. But there is an error, a margin of error around that, and the margin of error does mean that at this stage we can't rule out the possibility of there being a hung parliament. Right, because uh, the, the sort of the highlights, I suppose, if, if, we, if we can call them that, from the poll itself, aside from the, the various voting intentions and numbers of seats, um, in terms of percentage, Conservatives on 43, Labour 34, 7% lead, which is about mm. sort of the median number, isn't it, from all of the polls that we've seen in the last sort of two, two months, really? Yes, I mean you talk about the errors on our number, the the error bands around our numbers. There's the sort of the, the margin of error. That's yeah. the best way of putting it. One of the reasons why there is a bit of a larger margin of error on this than we'd otherwise like is because what we've seen over the past couple of days is the na is, is the gap narrowing. So normally in the last week of an election campaign, you don't really see much movement at all, and you can be fairly confident about things where things are. Actually, this time around, the data does indicate that we've seen that gap close in the last couple of days. And that means that, you know, we correctly have to, to make that caveat about, caveat about the possibility of this, uh, of heading into a hung parliament. Right. And because I suppose your previous poll to this one had them on uh, as much of a, as a 68-seat majority, um, it looks a little bit like a deflating message for the Tories that they've somehow allowed Labour to catch them up a bit. But still, having been in power for nine years and, 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 and having not been particularly popular in power in that nine-year period, it's still, if you were sitting in, in Tory central office this morning, you're going to go, well, this is actually not a bad place to be. Yes, I mean, it's fair to say that the Conservatives are still favourites to win a majority and having been in government uh, for... Be, you know, for nine years, that's, that, that, that is pretty impressive. And it comes off the back of the fact that Jeremy Corbyn started this campaign as a particularly unpopular opposition leader. Now, we have seen his numbers increase a bit over the course of the campaign, but he still lags behind the prime minister in terms of favourability. And he still lags quite some distance behind the Prime Minister in terms of who the public think would make the best Prime Minister. No, quite. And bad news for the Lib Dems here, because uh, I've been saying um, since the start of the campaign, really, that because of the fact that so many defections took place in the last Parliament, the Lib Dem seats had gone up quite significantly, almost by a third. Um, it looks as though they may not be holding on to all of those, according to you. Yeah, I mean, the Liberal Democrats have quite clearly had a bad election campaign, yeah. uh, particularly coming off the back of the kind of optimism they had about this campaign going into it because of how well they did in the European Parliament elections earlier this year. Now, I think there's lots of reasons that they've really struggled, one of which is probably Joe Swinson's personal ratings. It seems that the more the public have got to know Joe Swinson, the less they've liked her for whatever reason. I think the bigger issue for them, though, has been just being uh, just sort of surviving and, and being able to be part of the debate at all. Mm. We've seen that they've been shut out of the TV debates. They haven't got as much coverage as the other main political parties. And I think that's mean, meant that 
lots of people who might otherwise vote for them haven't considered them and have sort of drifted back over to Labour as the key Remain party just because they haven't been hearing so much about the Lib Dems. Yes, and um, the, the Green Party, pretty much where they were, I suppose, um, and one of the things that I've said to the Green Party when we've had them on this show is that, you know, it must be difficult to be the Green Party as a single-issue party. I know that's not what they would say they are, but when every other party has kind of adopted the Green um, Revolution, it's a bit difficult to put yourself out there as something different. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty for the Green Party is their success might be convincing all of the other parties to adopt yes. their policies on the environment um, rather than ending up winning any seats. I mean, it's clear that the environment has been a particularly key part of this election campaign, probably more of an issue in this election campaign than any election campaign previously. When we track the most important issues facing the country, uh, the environment comes up particularly high. It comes up higher than it has before. We see three times more people naming it as a top issue facing the country than did going into the previous election campaign. Amongst the youngest voters, it's the second most important issue after Brexit. Yeah. But that hasn't translated into extra votes for the Green Party. What it's meant is that other parties have started to adopt more green policies and push their sort of green environmental messages. And could you say the same of, uh, effect of, uh, of that has affected the Brexit Party in the same way, because the Tory party is now seen as the party of Brexit? Yeah, I suppose that's, that's also a fair point. The Brexit Party came in. They did incredibly well earlier in the year. They obviously topped the ballot in the European Parliament elections. But what that meant was the Conservative Party really shifted their position on Brexit. They even got rid of a new got rid of their leader and brought in Boris Johnson who really pushed this sort of hard Brexit message taking back those voters from the Brexit party and now the Brexit party are down in sort of the low single figures in the polls and very very unlikely uh, to win a single seat on Thursday. Mm. Now, without wishing to, to go into in individual seats, because we're, we're not really um, allowed to do that on the radio, what I'd like to say to you uh, is that basically we are looking at a few, a handful almost, of, of, of sort of swing seats, if you like, which could, ident could, be, could be identified mm. as those which will sort of mean good news for the Tories or, or not such good news. Yeah, so let's sort of generically call it the Labour's red wall, which is those seats across the north and the Midlands, none of which are named specifically, um, which uh, have voted Labour, many of which for the best part of a century, uh, but they also voted heavily to leave in the European Union referendum. Right. And Labour, is go uh, the Conservatives are going hard after those seats. Um, they're expecting, they're hoping to win big seats. Now, earlier this month when we ran the model, lots of those seats were going over to the Conservatives. I think it was 46 or 47 Which of them. is quite surprising in a way, isn't it? I mean, it would be surprising to a lot of people when you name the kind of seats they're going and you think, well, they've been Labour for a century. But I think it's it's because of the change in dynamics. We've we've not just got these traditional partisan loyalties. We've also now got this extra layer over the top of that in how people voted in the European Union referendum. And the Conservatives have done a very good job at winning over Labour Leave voters. And that means that some of those seats, which have been Labour for a long time, um, will be um, moving over to... Uh, could be moving over to... Yeah, I mean, uh, it is going to be a fascinating model because once you analyse the actual election result itself, Chris, you'll be looking for, you know, new indicators, I suppose, and, and looking at ways of whether they, th th those indicators will remain because I suppose this could be a once-in-a-lifetime style election. I know politicians call it that all the time, um, where this one issue has dominated it. Yes, I, I think that's fair. I mean, some of these are shifts that we've been seeing happening for the best part of two decades now where... Sort of more working class traditional Labour Party voters have been moving away from the party, whereas a lot of those sort of people who ended up voting remain in the European Union. A lot of those across South England 
have been moving away from the Conservative Party. I think this will be the election where we start to see that play out geographically and we mm. start to see some really surprising results with Labour potentially making some gains across the South in some interesting places that you'd never expect Labour to gain and vice versa for the Conservatives. Yes, it's fascinating, isn't it? And what about the SNP? Because you've got them uh, getting six more seats than they had, uh, up to 41. Uh, does that mean they're doing slightly less well than they thought they would do? I mean, it depends. I, I, I genuinely have no idea how well they thought they would do. Um, but there's Well, I think there was that. a lot of people expecting the Tories to be wiped out in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, the Conservatives are down quite considerably in this model in Scotland. The SNP are winning back, uh, I think it's five of their seats in Scotland out of the, um, uh, out of the ones that they hold. Mm. Uh, the, the, the key thing is that the SNP are probably going to, well, almost certainly going to gain seats off Labour and the Conservatives. They're not going to return to that high watermark of 2015 when they took all, all but three seats in Scotland. But they are going to make gains they are going to probably end up somewhere between their result in 2015 and their slightly more disappointing result in 2017. OK. And as far as the, um, um, the sort of the bellwether signs that you'll be looking for on Thursday, what, I mean, what effect do you think the weather will actually have, talking of bellwether? Because I'm told the, the, the weather we had in London last night is going to be pretty similar to what it's going to be like on Thursday. And it was howling gales, heavy rain, you know, maybe some possibilities of flooding, meaning people might not be able to get from point A to point B. I mean, I think it might be a bigger um, effect on the, on the voter turnout than anybody thinks. It's very difficult to tell because we have so few examples of elections happening at this time of year. I mm. think the last time we had an election in December was before we had the Universal Franchise, what, the best I part I think it was of, 1922 or something, wasn't it? 1922, so nearly a century ago. So yeah. we don't have, you know, we don't have good examples of this. The things to consider are, firstly, in the UK, we have a lot of postal voters. Many of those who might be put off by the weather have already voted posted their letter and have already cast their vote. Yeah. So that sort of mitigates against the impact of weather. And a lot of the uh, research that's been done into weather around the world, obviously extreme cases aside, um, tends to show that it doesn't have very much impact. And there's also other things that we do know affect turnout. We, we have a lot of evidence, for example, that if an election is perceived to be close, that increases turnout. And if there is perceived to be a big difference between the main two parties, that can increase turnout as well. Now, given that I think both of those things are true this time around, I would expect, and we can only speculate at this stage, but I would expect turnout to remain fairly high. Yes, and of course, um, the news that the, the, the Tories' lead has been cut will be probably also welcomed by um, the Tories' ca campaign machine because they, what they don't want is people to think that the Tories are going to win such a big margin uh, that there's not worth any point in going out and voting. Well, I, I'm still not sure we'd have given the Prime Minister a great night's sleep last night. Um, I, I think they were going around yesterday obviously saying that um, they expected this to be close and they were scared of the impact of tactical voting. Um, I, they were obviously saying that because they didn't want there to be lower turnout because they didn't want people to be complacent about it. Um, but I think when they were saying it yesterday, they probably didn't necessarily believe it. Okay. I think they probably believe it now. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a very uh, sort of, shall we say, nervous 24 hours or 21 hours, I guess it is, uh, now until uh, the polls open. And when the polls open, there'll be some more nerves uh, doing the rounds as well. Chris, thanks very much indeed. Chris Curtis, political research manager at YouGov, uh, of course, telling us uh, what the details are uh, of these particular uh, polling uh, activities that they have done. The final voting intention, Conservatives 43%, Labour 34%, which gives them a 7% lead, Lib Dems on 12%, the Brexit Party on 
23%. Uh, the SNP up in Scotland are gaining six seats, according to this. Lib Dems are gaining three seats from their original 15 in 2017. But what that means is they've actually lost overall because, of course, they've adopted so many other candidates from other parties who have been sitting as uh, Lib Dem MPs in the Houses of Parliament. Labour on 231, seats 31 down on two, 2017. Conservatives on 339, which is plus 22 uh, on 2017. We will bring you, of course, every single result as it comes in uh, on election night, starting off with Julia Hartley Brewer from 10 o'clock uh, tomorrow night. We will then be taking over from one and we will be live streaming the entire show so you can watch it as well as listen to it. It's called The Result uh, and the result will be around about three to four in the morning usually. Uh, and then we're back, of course, uh, in College Green in the tent, if it's not too windy, uh, on Friday morning at 10 o'clock as well. So loads of time for you to talk to us. Lots of things for you to say to us. We'll be saying lots of things to you as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. It is the final day of the election campaign. Uh, you can hear a huge cheer going up in lots of parts of the country uh, that we will finally have uh, an end to all of these politicians roaming around the country, knocking on your door, asking you which way you're going to vote, uh, stopping you in the street, uh, people filming you, uh, people interviewing you, and us, of course, talking incessantly about it. We're going to talk about something other than politics in a moment, though, uh, with Fiona Stapley, of course, because she is editor of The Good Pub Guide, which is always a good book uh, to have a look at if you wish to uh, take your mind off all of the political shenanigans that are going on. A couple of you want to tweet about the NHS, though, because many of you, of course, use the NHS. Many of us use the NHS. Here's one from Arthur, uh, who says, uh, my uh, other half was diagnosed with a perforated appendix two months ago, sent to A&E, where we had to wait five hours for a bed. The bed was free at 8pm, operated on at 1.30am, three days on intravenous antibiotics, then home. No complaints at all. Uh, Carla says, my elderly dad was in hospital for three weeks. He had no way to A&E and no staff shortage in the ward. He got a place in rehab straight away to learn to walk again. Uh, and Ranger says, I've had cancer twice, Mike. I know the fact I'm still here to the NHS. I've seen the good and the bad side of healthcare, but the fact I'm still alive is nothing short of miraculous and I can't thank the staff enough. And I think a lot of people would say that because basically the NHS, as I said before, is a remarkable institution. It's an incredibly uh, complicated uh, and large organisation, which is very difficult to manage, incredibly difficult to run, but yet somehow manages to serve all of the people in a pretty efficient and pretty good way. And occasionally things will go wrong. At this time of year particularly, uh, it can get very busy. But, you know, let's not denigrate the NHS to the point where people think there's something terribly wrong with it systemically, because I don't believe that there is. And lots of you seem to be agreeing with me. Now, let's talk to Fiona Stapley, who's been waiting patiently to talk to me about how Apparently, despite all the doom and gloom that we've been told about for years and years and years, that pubs are shutting right, left and centre, there's actually more pubs opening now for the first time in ages. Fiona, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for joining us. This is good news, isn't it? I mean, £700 million plus pounds are generated as well by the openings of, of all of these licensed premises. What's going on? Well, actually, we've noticed this trend over the last few years. Uh, and I keep saying, please don't have all the doom and gloom in the press because things are looking up. 
And, I mean, what's happening is that a, a lot of pubs that are sadly closing, which is, you know, horrible for the people running them and all the people that work there, um, they're being taken over by people, new people with sort of new ideas and lots of enthusiasm, and they're turning them into sort of successful, thriving pubs, which is what we all want to see. Absolutely right. And are they in particular parts of Britain? Like, are they more in cities? Are they more in, in the country? What? I think, well, we're, we're seeing actually a lot of them in the country. I okay. mean, I think in the, in the cities, I think there are an awful lot of small locals that once they've gone, they've sadly gone because there just isn't enough custom. Yeah. Um, but no, in, in the country, it seems to be where, where everything's happening. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? There's more and more um, sort of what you might call uh, foodie-type pubs opening up all over the place as well, where, you know, the days... I'm afraid I'm old enough to remember when you'd walk into a pub at sort of, you know, 2.20 in the afternoon on a Sunday to be told you couldn't have any food because, you know, the kitchen's closed and if you did want something, there was a pickled egg in a jar or something like that, you know, <laughs> and you'd have to just to put up yeah, with we've it. Yeah, all, we've all been there. Yes, we certainly have. But, I mean, you know, it's now... Through, I mean, certainly in London... There are so many bars and so many restaurants and so many places where people can go uh, and, and drink and, and enjoy themselves that, that it's a really thriving business now. And I'm delighted to say that I think it's, it's creating something like nearly 9,000 jobs as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing that pubs have done in the last few years is to diversify. So, you know, on the whole, there's not much point just opening if you're going to have a say, bowl of soup or something. But... If you sort of think, well, actually, do you know what? We've got walkers around us, so perhaps we'll open for breakfast. Or, you know, we're near a lovely historic site, so actually morning coffee would be a good idea and yeah. so would afternoon tea. You know, and and food is really important now in a pub. It's Obviously, it's where the money is for the publican. Uh, but actually, we're so much more um, demanding in, in the sort of food that we want. And that doesn't mean that you can't find your lovely bacon and eggs or you know, home-cooked ham with parsley sauce or local sausages or anything. It's not all sort of smart, you know, things with coolies and and foams no. and things. Uh, you know, pubs, if they didn't do the sort of honest basics, then actually they'd lose a lot of custom. Well, of course, and one of the bar largest sort of increases in pubs opening uh, is the ones that are attached to large groups, aren't they? And I mean, I, I don't, I'm only going to mention Weatherspoons because that's the one I'm thinking of at the moment, but I mean, Weatherspoons has been a, a sort of revelatory brand, hasn't it? Yes, it has, and I think Tim Martin is, is an extraordinary man, and he, you know, he just loves the pub industry. He's passionate about it. But uh, a lot of the pubs in our good pub guide are actually independent. They're, they're not part of a big group. They're run by, you know, a landlord and a landlady, and they may have one other pub, but on the whole, they don't. So they tend to be, uh, yeah, sort of one-man bands. And, and I must admit, it's tougher for the people running it because they've got to throw everything in. Yeah. They haven't got a, a big company behind them. But uh, they tend to be my favourite sorts of pubs. And so, as far as the, um, uh, the sort of the segmentation of the markets is concerned, there's an awful lot of craft beer companies now. I know some are probably owned by bigger companies, but do you think that's kind of driven more people back into pubs as well? Because the variety of, of what's on, on board... I mean, everywhere I go, somebody's making gin round the corner. You know, I was in a place <laughs> in uh, East London the other day, and they were like, I was after a gin and tonic, would you like a Bermondsey gin? I was like, well, yeah, OK then, you know. But, I mean, it seems like everybody's got one, you know? Yes, they have. Gin, gin is so big. Uh, but, but it isn't just drinks that actually uh, get people in. It's the fact that um, 
one, as I've said before, the food is so much better than it used to be. Uh, and there's a lot of younger people that actually aren't drinking as much as, as we all did when we were yes. you know, a bit younger. Well, I mean, anyway. but um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, We'll gloss <laughs> over that one, shall we? Uh, yeah, we'll pass over on that one. Uh, but there's a lot of young people who go into pubs and they actually want really interesting coffees and they want really interesting... Um, Homemade mocktails or yes. or sort of you know non-alcoholic um, choices. So so it isn't just the craft beers that are drawing people in. I just think pubs are just there for everybody now. I mean they're they, as I said they they've got to have changed. They've got to open up to all markets now. You know women going in on their own or someone meeting up with his mother or you know taking the kids out. You're right. Uh, they've just got to be there for everybody. Yes, absolutely right. And and because of the sort of the the harm, I suppose you might say, that was caused by the smoking ban originally. I know speaking to a lot of, of, of pub owners and landlords and stuff at the time that it happened. I was actually in Scotland when it happened first, and they were terribly worried that they wouldn't be able to recover from that. But it seems but as though know, they have now. Yes, I, I was going to say actually, I was talking about this the other day. I think it's really interesting because at first everybody was horrified uh, about uh, the, the no smoking. But in fact, it completely changed pubs' fortunes mm. because, you know, they became cleaner and lighter and brighter. And suddenly they had this new market, women going to pubs yeah. and going with their children to pubs, you know, for a family Sunday lunch, which they'd never have done during, uh, you know, really fuggy old sort of smoky, smoky bars. So actually it was, it was a really good thing for publicans' fortunes to, yeah. to have the no-smoking ban. OK, and when is the next good pub guide out? Because I always like to look for that, because although I'm I'm not any... I used to... Was a, there was a sort of carefree time when I was younger before I had any children, we'd sort of pick a pub out of the good pub guide book and go and, <laughs> go and have lunch there, which doesn't quite happen as much as it used to. But, but uh, when's the next one out? Well, actually, it only came out in September, so it's not until next September. Oh, so OK. In fact, there's, there's a new one out that came out a couple of months ago. And I know you probably can't answer this question for fear of uh, upsetting people, but where's your favourite pub? Do you know, I've, it sounds really corny, but it depends on what you feel like. So if you're out for a walk, you know, you choose a pub that's just relaxed and you can take your dog. If it's a birthday celebration, you know, you might choose somewhere that's got really nice food. Or if you're going away for a weekend, I mean, so there's... I'm, I'm, I don't go for one pub. I just go for whatever suits me for that occasion. Mm, OK, very, very well put and very diplomatic, Fiona. Thank you very much indeed. Fiona Stapley there from The Good Pub Guide, which was out in September. Uh, it's one of those great books where if you have a chance to get one and look through it and just pick a few pubs to go to, it's a great thing to do, maybe over the Christmas period, perhaps. Uh, why not indeed? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. And last night you were in my room. And now my bed sheets smell like you. Every day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with your body. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Of course, you're listening to Ed Sheeran, and I'll tell you why you're listening to Ed Sheeran. Uh, not because we've suddenly turned into Virgin Radio, but because uh, Tim Cocker is here uh, to tell us why Ed Sheeran's been named Artist of the Decade. Tim, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and welcome to the studio. Thank you for popping in. Anytime. Um, he's kind of dominated the decade, hasn't he, Ed, really? I mean, you can't argue with the choice, I suppose, can you? Yeah, the song you just played is the biggest, most listened to song of the decade. He's had more time at the top of the charts, album and singles charts than anyone else I think a thousand weeks in total in the UK top 75 a song at some point which compares with Elvis Presley wow and he hasn't really annoyed anybody too much. I think a few people didn't like the fact that he was doing an advert for ketchup because unless you were going to tell well, me the issue, giving... the issue with that it was just a terrible pun Ed Chup it's yes. just an awful pun one it's an awful pun and also people are going I mean maybe he is giving the money to charity but it's like why are you doing an advert Ed I mean you know he's the richest man in Christendom isn't he now well he must be yeah a half a billion quid he took on his recent world tour which I think is the highest ever right. above you 2 and the Rolling Stones yeah. so. and he's only on his own as well isn't yeah, he I mean do, that's the amazing thing an acoustic guitar a loop pedal and a microphone that's all he needs yeah absolutely incredible and looking at the top 10 singles of the decade he's, he's, he's in there more than once he's in there three times I think Yeah. Uh, with The Shape of You he's got Thinking Out Loud and Perfect as well and my, I tell you what my problem is you're going to tell me now showing my age but I mean an awful lot of um, the songs that I end up streaming I've got Spotify whatever um, they're all on each other's songs now, aren't they? It's somebody, somebody featuring somebody, Feature, and you're yeah. kind of going, oh, hang on a minute, well, who's, whose song is this exactly? Yeah, exactly. Like Calvin Harris at one point, I think, had the top five songs in the chart, and they were all with different people. Uh, that's the way I'd have it. If, if I had to be a, a musician or whatever, I would be a, a silent partner writing the songs and someone else doing it. I'll just mm. sit on a hammock sipping cocktails. <laughs> but what do you think of Ed Sheeran, Mike? Well, do you know, I'm not a very big fan of his music. I, I of course, admire his um, dedication, and I think to be able to stand on a stage and, and control... I don't know, a couple of hundred thousand people in a stadium just with a guitar and you. It's pretty remarkable. Mm. But it's not, it's not really my kind of music, to be honest. I'm, you know, it's all right, and I won't turn it off, but you know, it's not something I'd listen to. Do you not think it's a really British thing? Because he gets a load of stick, and, a, and I try and avoid music snobbery as much as I can. Like, probably like you, I wouldn't go, home and, listen to, I wouldn't go no. home and listen to it. But you've got to respect the fact that 
that many people will go out and buy records, part with their own money voluntarily. We're yeah. talk, you know, we're talking about democracy at the minute. Yeah. That, in musical terms, that's a democracy, isn't it? it? Is. That's, it you can't argue with the, with the numbers, but it gets a lot of stick. But um, I think it's the same with Coldplay, it's the same with George Ezra and people like this. There's a, re- think, there's a, a reason popular- why they're successful. It's a popularity thing, is it? I yeah. mean, because the same people that don't like Coldplay usually don't like you too. Um, and don't like anyone who's really, really, really successful. It's like, oh, I saw them when they were, you know, playing at the Hope and Anchor in Up Street. You know, that's when they were good. And it's like, well, they're pretty good now, actually. Yeah, and do you know what? I, th- I think about it like this. Um, th- we hear a lot how bad the, the UK is, how terrible everything is. It's awful. I always think when things have, in historically, when when things have been genuinely bad, music reflects that yeah. so uh, when there were piles of rubbish and power cuts all the time and this is kind of going back to punk well, exactly you get the punk movement yeah. you get bands like The Clash and The Sex Pistols if Ed Sheeran is the biggest selling artist of the 2010s the way I look at it is it must, things must be alright well do you know what he probably is the representation of what you would call the millennials right because we've just been talking about how apparently a lot of people now between the ages of 18 and 24 are struggling to tell the time on an analog <laughs> clock because they're just not used to seeing them. And they look at them and they kind of go, huh? I haven't got a digital readout here. What's going on? And they, and they, because I've got some millennials of my own, um, I know how cosseted they are and how kind of well looked after they are and how, you know, when they complain about stuff, it's the most ridiculous stuff that they're complaining about. You know, they had to wait ages to get a coffee or something or the, their flight got delayed or, you know, you know, the car uh, that was coming for them is 10 minutes late or something. You know what I mean? It's like they didn't really... If they would had gone through what uh, we went through, or certainly I went through, in the punk years of the 70s when you literally were buying jackets in Oxfam and, you know, walking around with no money and you had to walk home because you didn't have any money for the bus... You know, I mean, that doesn't happen now. Mm. I also think the, the the streaming in the 20... That's the story of the 2010s for me, technologically, the fact that every bit of music forever is accessible. But equally, it means you're not paying for anything necessarily. Mm. So actually what you found is that that pyramid, that there's, there's much less bands getting invested in and all the money sort of congregates at the top. I suppose it happens in, in every industry, actors and things like it's that. It's true. I mean, one of the things I noticed a lot, because I used to do uh, the odd live show, um, we used to do a Christmas show, you know, Shepherd's Bridge Empire, and that was full of Shepherd's Bridge Empire of, of some smaller acts, um, uh, like Gabrielle did a show there, but a lot of the acts that were going to do shows there were tribute acts, mm-hmm. because people can't afford to go and see... I mean, I went to see you 2 um, in the, the O2 last time they were here. 200 quid a ticket. I mean, it's a lot of money for people. Mm. So, you know, if you've got 25 quid that you can spend to go and see a band, you're going to go and see, you know, the David Bowie tribute act in the Shepherd's Bush Empire because that's what you can afford. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love the the rock and roll stories of, of years gone by. That just They're not there now. And as you say, that you know, Ed Sheeran's probably a representation of that. And I'm not saying it's good or not saying it's bad, but those stories, Keith Moon driving a car into a swimming mm. pool and uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie in Berlin... And Keith Richards just yeah. dedicating his life to chemical science. Well, uh, I mean, there is that thing about Keith Richards. You know, whenever whenever anybody dies, and it's like Keith's still here. <laughs> yeah. He literally is going to be the last man alive, isn't he? Yeah, but Ed Sheeran has opened the door. That I mean, one of the things that the Britain has done amazingly in, in music at the minute is these just so many incredible uh, solo songwriters are going out and representing us all around the world. And yeah. I think Adele is probably going to own the next decade. Yeah, again, she, really. She, well, she's just had a divorce, right? And so that means she's got a new album coming out next year. Oh, okay, because she's got something to write about. Because she's another, she's another one actually. She yeah. only writes about stuff when she's unhappy, doesn't she? Well, she's is... too happy. She doesn't do anything. Well, she's the only person to top Ed Sheeran on 
individual album sales in the last decade. She's got the two biggest selling albums of the 2010s. Right, okay. What do we call, what do we call this decade? I'm so glad to be getting rid of this decade because I don't know what to call I it. I don't know what we did call it. Um, no. I'm not sure what you call the next one either. 2020 is a good word well, though. I can't, I'm going to quite enjoy saying 2020. Well, the only problem with that is the number of opticians that are going to use that for... 2020 cheesy vision. adverts, exactly. Well, I mean, we've seen plenty of cheesy adverts, but I mean, the other thing for me uh, is this whole business of uh, of Coldplay jumping on the uh, climate change bandwagon mm-hmm. and saying we're not going to tour. But oh, by the way, we've got a new album out tomorrow, and uh, we're going to do two shows in the middle of the desert in a man <laughs> Jordan, which are live streamed on YouTube. I don't know how many people watch them, but I imagine quite a few million. Um, you know, the the end of the world tour is not anywhere near here, is it? No, absolutely not. But I mean, someone cynical might look at Coldplay and go, "They've got enough in the bank. They can't be bothered to tour anymore. We can earn a few, uh, earn a few brownie points, yes. whilst not bothering to go and tour." Exactly. So, I mean, are you in the business of making predictions for the next decade? Then, I mean, is there going to be? I mean, is there anybody sort of bubbling under who's going to become the next big thing? I mean, I suppose it's difficult to know that, isn't it? Well, as I say, I think Adele is going to dominate the next few years because she is back from a bit of a hiatus. But a couple of names I would chuck on the radar. All right. You said you went to see U2. Mm. His son is in a band called Inhaler, who are very, very promising, coming out of Dublin. Right. So there's one. Uh, Sam Fender's had an amazing 2019. Lad from Newcastle, kind of got Bruce Springsteen vibe about him. I think he's a a superstar in waiting. And one, one I absolutely love... Uh, my favourite live music experience of the year was a guy from Glasgow called Jerry Cinnamon who has done it the old-fashioned way without any record label, crowdfunded, yeah. crowdfunding his album, which then sold 100,000 copies. He's He's uh, got a gig at Hamden Park in Glasgow um, next year. And he's the first person to play there after Pink, Beyonce, and, yeah. and Bruce And I've actually heard of him because Con, our producer, is a massive fan and has been to see him a couple of times, I think. I don't know, I've been playing Belter to myself. Oh, his live which show is brilliant. His live show is Also, wild. I've got a big thing about Glasgow. I used to live there. So, yeah. you know, it's a very Glaswegian sound, which yeah. is always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the West End of Glasgow. It's a great time. But, but his gigs are oh, absolutely wild. You should, go, you should go to one, Mike. Yeah, I probably will. Yeah. I might do you get, get the down the front when you go? I, I, I might do. I might do. <laughs> Has been known. People ask me what I'm doing there. Very non-committal. With like. the police. <laughs> well, I mean, all I can tell you is where I sat when you two were on. I was surrounded by sat. people with, with backstage passes, but I didn't uh, have one because I don't work in the business. No. Come on, Mike. But I'll tell you a good story about it in a moment. Um, thank you very much, Tim. Are you on at one o'clock? I am. Obviously, Matthew Wright has a fantastic show, but if you need uh, any music in your life, Virgin Radio. Excellent. That's a very good listen at one o'clock, I'm sure. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. And I need you to know I'm not asking for Oh three four four a four nine nine one thousand is the number. This is, of course, your election station. This is Talk Radio. I am Mike Graham, and this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll be doing a fantastic overnight show uh, tomorrow night. We're picking up the baton from Julia Hartley Brewer. Uh, from 10, she will join us, uh, of course, here after the polls close. She'll bring you all the early uh, polling indications as to what the exit polls are saying. We, from 1 o'clock, uh, right here, live streamed as well, by the way, on YouTube and Facebook, we'll be bringing you all of the results as they come in throughout the course of the night until 6.30 in the morning, uh, when Julia will once again take over uh, until 1 o'clock, sorry, until 10 o'clock, and then I'll take over once 
once again at 10 in the morning, live from College Green in Westminster, in the tent of common sense, with presumably a new government in place. Let's go to the phones and talk to Jenny, who's in High Wycombe. Hello, Jenny. Oh, hello there, Mike. How Hi. are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. I'm calling you about the, about the NHS. And um, just to say, you know, you don't know why you can't get into A&E. Um, when I had a very serious car accident three years ago, I mm. had to be literally blue-lighted hospital, blah, 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 brain surgery. You know, brain surgeons are not one a penny. They actually had to cut a piece out of my skull right. there and then. You can't wait for that to be done and for someone to say, oh, I'm sorry, there are no beds. You know, that had to be done or I would have died. Yes. I was, you know, in nowhere for the blood to go. So, you know... Well, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that surgery. you can't... So there's a lot of stuff that you yes. can't plan for, right? Indeed, you cannot plan for that. So if you are delayed, it may be because somebody is having brain surgery, which they weren't expecting to, when they just popped out that afternoon. Right. Well, I mean, in the case of, me. of, of the, the little boy up in Leeds, he was in a bed, uh, but they asked him to get out of the bed because somebody who needed the bed more had come into the hospital, into the paediatric unit, and so they were asked to go and sit in a waiting yeah. room. Now, it's not ideal... You know. It's not ideal, but there are question marks over that, actually. If you've, you've obviously read yes. all the reports on that, you've, you've read all that. So, I mean, there may, you don't know why that bed was needed, if indeed that was, that was the case. Right. And also, I mean, I've, I've had pneumonia. I didn't go into, into hospital for it. You know, you, you know it's, not, it's not something that will kill you. There's also no doubt at all, Jenny, that a lot of people go to A&E uh, who don't need to go to A&E. I, I, know, I, know, I know lots of nurses who are listening to this show, even as we speak, who always Precisely. say to me, there are people coming in all the time to A&E who shouldn't be there. Exactly. You've got that exactly right. And so people just go into sort of somewhere to go. Yeah. But you, you do not... If somebody really, really needs it, as did I that night or I would have died, then, you know, that's a very different matter. When I went back for a, a follow-up, when they had um, a piece made in Switzerland uh, a year later... Uh, and Switzerland is not part of the EU, by the way. Mm. And you know, you've still got people who trained in the states, not in the EU. And uh, you know, pieces made in Switzerland, world class, world class brain surgeons operating on you. Mm. So if you and the, on that time when I went back, I had to go back a year later in order to have a skull piece put in, which they have made in Switzerland. Um, you know. They couldn't do it straight away. They, they came, and the, the surgeon said to me, the surgeon came himself, actually, while we were waiting. I've been there for hours and hours and hours. And so he said, I'm really, really sorry. I can't do you today because as a gentleman, if I don't do him, he is going to go blind. Yeah. Fine, you know, I'll go home. Of course. You have to, you know, and they can't just have, load, as you say, a lot of brain surgeons walking around waiting for something to do. That's Absolutely right. right. Jenny, thanks very much indeed for your call. Let me talk to James, uh, who's in Lincoln. James, very good afternoon to you. Hi, how are you doing? You yeah, right? yeah, very well, sir. What can, what can I do for you? Well, basically, just two sides of the story. Um, I'm from a family business, and we did all building contract work for hospitals right. um, in Lincolnshire. Now, uh, about four years ago, uh, five years ago, we built a children's crash at a hospital in Lincolnshire. Okay. Brick built one. £350,000 built, big building. Two years later, it was demolished to make way for student accommodation, nursing accommodation. Really? Yep, and that is a fact. Right. And now the children's crash is in a porter cabin. And would that have been a decision made by the health authority? Or the well, health trust or whatever? If they spend the money, they lose it. Right. Now, this student accommodation nursing quarters was a massive scheme between Lincoln, Grantham and Boston Hospital. They would have known that that crash was going to be built in the wrong place because the planning would have taken years to get through. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 
We also did a refurbishment on a maternity ward. They spent £30,000 on artwork that the matron said, the nurse in charge said, I don't want the artwork. I shouldn't have had a, a nurse. Yeah, right. And they didn't get a choice on that. But, I mean, like all big organisations, as, as I'm sure you're aware, James, they'll have budgets, won't they? They'll sort of have a budget for artwork, so they'll go, well, you have to spend that on artwork, otherwise we can't move it to another part of the budget. Exactly. You, lo you don't spend it, you lose it. Right. So, to me, the NHS is losing mo wasting money on refurbishing. There's ghost wards in Lincoln Hospital that uh, had money spent on refurbishing wards that are not even used. Yeah. We did one at Louth. It was refurbished four years uh, prior to us doing it. It's a brand new ward, but they wanted it changing again. Yeah, and presumably so, well, your company's not the only company that gets commissioned to do this stuff, so there'll be other companies no, no, we, also doing well. Tender. It goes out to tender, so it's all done legitimately. Right. But it's just the fact that the NHS are wasting money, and it, there's not, nobody is being accountable for this. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, money's been getting wasted on stuff that doesn't really need to be wasted. And what about, I, I mean, what about your business, James? If, how much would, would you, you, your business suffer if the NHS projects were taken out of it? Um, well, local building contractors would suffer massively. Yeah. Um, they've recently, they procured it out to bigger companies um, like InterServe and the Care Group. And they've now decided it's more cost-effective to come back to the smaller builders. Right, OK. Do the work, because obviously these bigger companies, without going into financials of it obviously the financing of these uh, jobs gets lost a bit do you no, know what I mean I do I know exactly what you mean James it's listen. more cost effective for local contractors to do it yes. rather than a big Multinational. No, I get that. Great call, James. Thank you very much indeed. Very interesting, isn't it? They do have budgets. They do have money. I mean, the people who say that the reason why the NHS is struggling is because it's been starved of cash, uh, which I was told uh, once uh, last week by one of the front benches from the Labour Party. I said, well, it's £150 billion a year that goes into it. You can hardly describe that as being starved of cash, can you? Let's talk to Richard, who's in Derbyshire. Hello, Richard. Hi, how are you doing? All right, thank you. Yeah, what can you do? What can you tell me? Um, just a quick um, thought that uh, on Friday last week, I'm, I took my brother into hospital for a, um, a pacemaker to be fitted. Okay. Um, he had all the pre-op and everything, and they realised that um, he had to wait for a couple of days because he took a, a thin blood a, um, aspirin tablet. Oh, right. So he's on blood thinners. Um, other than that, they were going to do it in the, day, in the same day, treatment and send him out. He waited, uh, after waiting over the weekend, was operated on, on Monday and came out on Monday evening, um, which, and it's much maligned the NHS, but I thought that was brilliant. Yes, it really is. And more and more stories from people like yourself, Richard, are coming in today because it is a massive business, it is a massive organisation, and the fact, in a way, that anything works is in some ways miraculous, isn't it? Yeah. Um... There was no doubt about it that the ward was very busy. Yeah. Um, but it was all in control. It seemed to be all in control. Uh, they got the priorities. And unfortunately, if he hadn't taken this blood thinner, he would have been operated on the same day and sent out in the same day. Right. And because presumably when you took him in, that was an appointment that had been prior, made prior to, to you no, showing no, up. No, on the Friday morning, he was diagnosed that he wanted a, a pacemaker. I took him straight, to, uh, took him straight away to the uh, Royal Derby. Mm. Uh, that same day, so it all happened in, on the Friday. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so they had to make space for him. In other words. Yeah. Well, he just went straight in into the ward. Mm. 
diagnosed, and then unfortunately had the bad news about the blood thinner. Yeah. But um, all, all in well, the sounds well. On, on Monday, it came out. All right. Which is a pretty fast turnaround, really. And he's okay. How's he doing? He's very well, thank you. He's glad to be out, of course. Right. Um, I mean, that's the other thing that's amazing now, is that the way that you can be now treated... I mean, I know people who've had pacemakers fitted, and it's kind of changed their life, and they're healthy, uh, you know, they feel younger, they feel fitter, and, you know, the kinds of adva medical advancement that we've now seen, uh, which the, the NHS can, can handle, is remarkable. It's brilliant, because um, they don't want you to be in hospital beds now. No. And if you could have had the operation on the Friday, you would have been out the same day. So it, from... From 10 o'clock in the morning, we at the doctors. He would have had the operation, the pacemaker fitted, and been out at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Now, it's got to be pretty good, that. No, exactly right. Listen, great call, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. Jill says this on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet, of course, at uh, Talk Radio and at IROMG. I've come to the conclusion that it's not the amount of money that's the problem with the NHS. It's where the funds are being distributed, i.e. to middle management instead of doctors, nurses, etc., where it really is needed. Well, as we heard from James, who called in earlier there, he said, well, the problem is they spent 30,000 quid uh, on this particular ward that he built uh, locally with his local building firm, uh, 30,000 quid on artwork instead of giving that to a nurse. Now, you could have hired an extra nurse for that, so that's clearly where the problem is. Alex says, why is nobody mentioning the main problem in the NHS, which is that there are too many people, and it just cannot cope. Since 2010, population in the UK has increased from 62 million to 66 million. People are afraid to enter this argument for fear of hurting the snowflakes. Well, I've said that as well, because it's very true that there are more people in this country. Now, you can either say uh, that it's because more people have come into the country because of immigration, which is partly the problem, but also just the population has increased, right? So if you have more people and the same number of hospitals, you're going to have more people waiting longer. It's that simple. If you're trying to get a GP's appointment and there's more people trying to get GP's appointments, it's going to take you longer to get one. It's simple mathematics, isn't it? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.